So here we are at the end of our first day of our journey together. How are you feeling? What are some words for what's coming up in the, your body and mind right now? Just popcorn style, if you like to hear a little from the room. Tired. tired. How many people are tired? Yeah. Anything else? Restless legs. Monkey mind. mind. Yeah, sounds like the first day of a retreat. (laughs) On the first day of a retreat, I'm often reminded of something that my son said when he was about six years old. And he said to me, Mom, time is a funny thing. He said, take five minutes. It's a really short time if you're eating ice cream, and it's a really long time if your head is on fire. So, I don't know if your head's been on fire today, or ice cream, or maybe both, but if you're feeling tired and restless, just know you're, you're not alone. So, uh, my assignment tonight is really to talk a little bit about why we're doing this, what we're here for, and I thought I'd begin by reading, this is a note that somebody left me in the middle, about two or three days into a retreat, maybe two days into a retreat a few years ago. This woman wrote, she said, I have been faithfully following the schedule at this retreat. I have been trying my best to stay present and witness my breath, my body sensations, the sounds, and my thinking mind. The only thing I'm not sure about is, what's the point? (laughs) It does not feel obvious. So whether you're new or experienced, that can be, especially on the first day of the retreat, a little bit of the feeling. Why am I here? Why am I sitting in a circle in silence with this group of women and walking really slowly and not talking to anybody and I don't have my phone or my computer or, or CNN or NPR or anything to, to entertain me? I remember on one retreat years ago, the end of the second day of the retreat, I met a yogi coming down the hill as I was walking up and she was pulling her suitcase behind her. And she said, I can't believe I came here when I could have gone wine tasting in Napa. (laughs) So why, why have we all made this brave and beautiful choice to be here and to be doing this? What's the point? So I thought I would begin by sharing an image that's been helpful to me in my practice lately. It's an image I've been using to bring me back home. And this is the image. It's that life is singing us a song all the time. Life, or you might say, whatever word you want to use for that vast, mysterious energy that beats all of our hearts. You might say life, or you might say uh, the goddess. You might say Mother Earth. You might say now, Prajnaparamita, who is this figure on the left here, the mother of all the Buddhas, the perfection of wisdom. You might say the emptiness, the void, whatever word it is that captures this mystery for you. But there's this sense that life herself is singing us this song, and we want to be here to hear it. And this song, I used this image in the meditation last night, this song is playing, the music of life is playing, through the sensations in our body. It's playing through the sights that we see, 
the sounds that we hear, the birds or people's voices. It's playing through the touch of our feet on the ground, through the smells. It's playing through the emotions that we hear. It's playing even through our thoughts and our obsessions and our fantasies, everything we might want to get rid of. This is the music of life playing. And sometimes it's really loud and sometimes it's really soft. And sometimes it's really beautiful and pleasant. And I'm sure you've had moments of that already today. How many people have had a moment where it was just, ah, yeah. Maybe just the sight of a little bird building a nest or, or the color of the sky or a bite of that beautiful butternut squash soup or that roasted beet in the salad. Or maybe it was just uh, a sweet memory that brought a smile to you. We've had these moments. And then sometimes it's really painful and difficult, loud and chaotic and discordant music. And it's the music of sorrow or grief or loss. There's the music of obsession and the bad tunes that play in our head. The pains in our body and the difficulties. So how many people have heard some of that music today? Yeah. This is the music of human existence. It's the song of life that's playing. And we want to pause, we want to tune in, we want to hear. The music plays itself even through our very capacity to be aware, awareness itself, this ability to be here and receive is a form of the song of life. There's a phrase that a teacher of mine used on a retreat several years ago that just stuck with me. Um, She said, She used the term the womb of awareness. She said, practice is entering into the womb of awareness. This was a wonderful teacher, Tanisara, who many of you may know. She was a nun for many, many years, actually in the same tradition as our wonderful Ayananda Bodhi. And then when she disrobed, she continued to practice as a layperson. She married a former monk and um, has been involved as a Dharma center in South Africa where she really merges um, deep Dharma practice and social activism, ecological activism. And she really speaks the, the pure, deep Dharma through the voice of a woman um, in a really beautiful way. And so this phrase she was using, the womb of awareness, she said, was a translation of a word in um, Pali, which is the language that, the ancient language that so many of the ancient texts are written in. It's a word called yoniso, or phrase, yoniso manisikara. Am I practicing that? Pronouncing it correctly? (laughs) And this is a word that I'd normally heard translated as wise attention or wise reflection, looking really deeply into the nature of things. But in this talk, she pointed out that this root word, you may have heard it go by, yoniso, yoni, it's a word for the womb, the matrix, this, um, this depth of being out of which we all emerged. You know, all of us emerged from a woman's womb. And we also have all emerged from this deep web of interconnected aliveness, this mystery. And we'll go back to that. And so 
this word she translated, she said, you can speak of the practice as entering into the womb of awareness. And so that's one way you could say what we're, uh, that we're, uh, what we're doing here. That in order to listen to this music of life, we're entering, we're opening to our own capacity to know, to hear. And even the way we're sitting here in a circle kind of evokes that womb-like feeling, you know, that feeling of returning to something very deep that we know intimately from the inside. And so we return in this way that's both extraordinary and ordinary. We pause and we listen, we receive this incredible music that's playing, that's here all the time, but that often we're just too busy and distracted, rushing from one thing to the next to pause and listen to. Here is a, uh, I found this on a, a website. Uh, it was explaining America to foreign exchange students, and it was a, a, at the University of Pennsylvania, and it had this list of things about Americans, which I think apply to many other countries in the Western world as well, but perhaps especially to Americans. Americans tend to organize their activities by means of schedules. As a result, they may seem hurried, rushing from one thing to the next, unable to relax and enjoy themselves. Achievers, people whose lives are centered around efforts to accomplish some physical measurable thing, receive respect and admiration from Americans. Generally, Americans like action. Americans also tend to believe they should be doing something most of the time. You will often hear Americans talk about how busy they are, which often is true, but also is simply expected for them to say. I, mean, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, right? In the US, people often say, hi, how are you? Or how are you doing? And then do not wait for a response. This is a polite phrase, not really a question. You can respond by saying, hi, or fine, thanks. You may also hear an American say, drop by any time, or let's get together soon. These are friendly expressions, but should not be taken literally. <laughs> yes, you can just see the people studying up on this, wanting to get it right. So it's, it's sad. Um, and, and this is our life. This is our life. And so we're moving into something very different here. Because when we're so miss busy, we miss the music. This is a story, it's actually a summary of a true story which appeared, um, an experiment um, that was run by the Washington Post a few years ago. Some of you may have heard this, it was making the rounds of the internet for a while. A man sat at a metro station in Washington DC and started to play the violin. He played two Bach pieces, one Massenet, one Schubert, and a Mendelssohn. During that time, since it was rush hour, almost 2,000 people went through the station, most of them on their way to work. After three minutes, a middle-aged man noticed there was a musician playing. He slowed his pace, stopped for a few seconds, and then hurried up to meet his train. A minute later, the violinist received his first dollar tip a woman threw the money in the till and without stopping continued to walk. A few minutes later, someone leaned against the wall to listen to him, 
But then he looked at his watch and started to walk again. The one who paid the most attention was a three-year-old boy. His mother tugged him along, but the, the child tried to stop to look at the violinist. Finally, the mother pushed hard and the, continue, the child continued to walk, turning his head the whole time. This action was repeated by several other children, but all the, other, all the parents, without exception, hurried them on. In the 45 minutes that the musician played, only six people stopped and stayed for a while. He collected $32. When he finished playing and silence took over, no one noticed, no one applauded, and there was no recognition. No one knew this, but the violinist was Joshua Bell, one of the best musicians in the world. He had played some of the most intricate pieces of music ever written on a violin worth $3.5 million. Two days before his playing in the subway, he had sold out at a theater at Boston where the seats averaged $100 a piece. This was organized by the Washington Post as part of a social perception about perception and priorities. The questions were, in a commonplace environment at an inappropriate hour, do we perceive beauty? Do we stop to appreciate it? Do we recognize talent in an unexpected context? One of the possible conclusions from this experience could be, if we don't have a moment to stop and listen to one of the best musicians in the world playing the best music ever written, how many other things are we missing? So this music of life that we're speaking of is you know, incomparable. It's beautiful, it's extraordinary. As beautiful as this music played on a violin worth millions of dollars is, what is the music played by this planet? What is the music played by the stars, by the moon, by our own breath, by our beating heart, by our connections with the people who we love? And how much of that music are we missing? How much are we rushing by? And so our practice just asks us again and again to stop and pay attention in a very simple way to this music. So let's just stop for a moment now just in the middle of this, this moment. As Julie Wester loves to say, when you're talking about the present moment, any moment will do. <laughs> I always love that when Julie said that. So just pause, this moment will do. And just notice, without doing anything special, what are you seeing? What are you hearing? What are you feeling in your body? Is there a smell? Or a little taste in the mouth? What's the mood of the heart? What are the stories in the mind?
And would it help you tune up to that, tune into that, if you used this means of just imagining that this is the song that life is playing you right now? Would it help you tune in if you thought this is the gift that Mother Earth is offering right now? Prajnaparamita. What is the image that might help you? Because images and poetry are just as powerful as rational language and instructions in tuning us in. What's the image that might help you come back and receive? And then you can open your eyes. So our practice, this quality of paying attention, so simple seemingly in in any moment, and yet so challenging to remember to return to. So what we're doing on a retreat is we're just remembering again and again We're retraining ourselves to stop and notice and be here. And sometimes that can be really wonderful. It's a beautiful poem by Mary Oliver called Mindful. She says, Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these? The untrimmable light of the world, the oceans shine, the prayers that are made out of grass. So our practice is helping us notice those moments, those prayers, that light of the world. And, of course, as you've already experienced and will experience again and again, the present moment doesn't always feel that great. That's another thought that may come up. What's so great about the present moment? My fantasies are really much more entertaining. Sometimes what's present in the moment is great pain and grief in the body, the heart, loss, the discomforts, the little irritations, the stories that play again and again, our anger. All of this is part of, this, of what we open to when we pause, our boredom, our frustration, 
the way things just aren't the way we want them to be, or we get them all set up the way we want them to be, and they're that way for a moment, and then it changes. Something changes. The rug gets pulled out from under us in some way. So that, too, is part of what we open to when we pause. We stop the, the sorrow, the discomfort, the stresses of life. And our practice holds the premise which we can test in our own experience again and again, that it's better to turn toward and be with and feel these difficult experiences than to run from them and numb out so we don't feel them, to shut ourselves down. It's better because when we turn toward them, they become a doorway into the potential for our heart to open. They become a doorway into compassionate connection with ourself and our own pain, our own difficulties, with how hard it can be to be in a human body, a woman's body in this world. We can connect with that and then we can, our heart can begin to open to how difficult it is at times for every person in this room, every woman here, you know, has had great pains, great sorrow, physical suffering, losses. All of us, people we love, have gone from our lives. Parts of our body have broken down in one way or another. And by turning toward rather than away, our hearts can soften and we can open into connection. And through the opening into connection, we can feel ourselves as part of something larger, part of a larger web of life that can hold us and nourish us and sustain us so that we're not walking alone through this world. And that feeling of connection can only happen when we allow our hearts to be tenderized by meeting our own grief and loss in the present moment when it arises. Not going and looking for it or obsessing on it or digging it out but just meeting it and being present with it when it's here. Through that, through that, we can come into a larger sense of who we are. And we can have that not just as a concept, but as a felt sense. Because we've been able to turn toward some of these dark places in, within ourselves. I'm remembering a, a very short poem by Mary Oliver, and I hope I get it right because it's only three lines. It just came into my mind. The poem is, Someone I love once gave me a box full of darkness. It took me a long time to realize that that too was a gift. So when we come together in this way, when we practice, when we pause, it's not all just, you know, the hummingbirds and the delicious soup. We begin to open and touch our own boxes of of darkness. And in that process, we can begin to discover that that too is a gift. And we begin to reclaim parts of ourselves. I think that's the word that Deborah used either this morning or last night, that sense of reclaiming, refinding, And as women, we may have been told not to feel certain things, not to feel parts of our body, 
not to have certain emotions that are too big and uncomfortable for other people to be around. Not to feel and express and contact the full range of who we are. And so within this safe and contained environment, we're learning to go in, to find, to feel from the inside, to reconnect and very tenderly move in. And that too is part of this dance. That too is part of the reclamation. And it begins very simply with just feeling our bodies from the inside. So let's do again just a simple practice that illustrates how we go into our experience, which we're practicing over and over and over again over the course of our time together. So just pick up your hand for a moment and just look at your hand. And you could turn it from one side to the other, looking at the color, looking at the shape, observing it. And then close your eyes and let go of the idea of hand and the look of your hand and just move in to the experience of your hand from the inside. You can begin to curl the fingers, unfurl, letting it blossom open and closed. Letting go of concept of hand and just noticing the sensations moving and flowing. What does it feel like to be inside your hand? Warmth, tingling, sensations moving from one place to the other as the hand moves, letting it rest in stillness and then move again. And then you can put your hand down And keeping the eyes closed now with that sense of being from the inside, just move to your shoulder. Maybe move your shoulder around. And again, letting go of the idea of shoulder. Just come into that inner experience. Moving inside your own experience. If you were to map the experience of living inside your shoulder, draw it out. It may look like nothing you've ever seen anatomically, but that's how it is from the inside. And then letting that pause, that movement. And then just very lightly with your attention alone, just move inside some other part of your body not going right away to the most difficult or challenging part, just another part of your body that you just, with your awareness, you might be able to slip inside and settle down with. Maybe a hand resting on your thigh or a hip, the back of the neck. Just notice how you can nestle down with yourself and listen Inside, what song is this part of you singing? That feeling of tenderness, of just being there to listen, to hear, 
And then you can tell that part very lovingly, I'll be back. I'll be back. Maybe part of me will stay with you right now. As I open my eyes again. And again, let in the space of the room. So this is another way of looking at our practice, is that we're visiting parts of ourself, befriending parts of ourself, and settling down with them, tuning in, seeing what's there, befriending our breath, befriending our body with this incredible kindness. And one of the beautiful things about practice is that it's both a long cultivation, a retraining that changes the direction of our life over time, that changes the habitual way we are in the world. And it's also something that's immediate, that can bring an immediate nourishment and rewards. So both of these things are true. So just in a moment, we can return to our breath. We can feel the in and the out And we can be nourished by it. We can remember that this is the breath of life. We can remember that as we're breathing in, trees are breathing out. We can remember in the inhale and the exhale that being alive is a precious gift and that we are here breathing and that the world is breathing along with us. We can remember in just a moment of connecting to our food, you know, eating that wonderful eggplant, if you like eggplant, if not, another example. Whatever it was that you connected with in that eating of a mindful meal, and just in a few moments you can feel the joy, the pleasure of that, and then you can also feel how your food connects you to so much, connects you to the earth that out of which the food grew and to the streams and the rain that watered the plants and to the people who tended the harvest and brought it to you and the cooks who prepared it. All of that in just a moment of paying attention. And on retreat, we have the opportunity to sustain that over time. So there's the immediate refreshment of coming back, of turning toward, And then there's also the building of the muscle of presence, gradually over time, building longer and longer stretches in which we're present. And that building of a deepening of presence nourishes us on another level. So an image that's used sometimes is it's like putting a potato in the oven In order to cook it, you keep it in there for a while. You don't keep taking it out. And so by sustaining and taking the time and making the the earnest, sincere, tender commitment to keep coming back, to keep coming back, we keep the heat on on that potato. And we build a capacity that can be a great source of nourishment and sustenance for us. We transform what may be raw and difficult and indigestible into something that can actually feed us. And that happens over time. 
And so on retreat, we have this opportunity to develop that, to deepen into that, to sustain that, to keep ourselves in the, the cooker in a very gentle way for a little bit longer. And as we do, we can begin to see the patterns, the habitual patterns that keep us wandering and distracted. The great common human patterns we'll be talking about more over the course of the week that pull us out and away and restless and keep us dissatisfied. Great universal patterns. Nothing to feel like it's just you personally. We each have our own unique versions of them and ways that we habitually move. And yet there are these patterns that keep us distracted and keep us from the innate capacity to be present and keep us disconnected from our own compassionate nature, our ability to act and respond in the world. So we gradually start to see those more clearly and untangle them. And in doing so, we free up a tremendous amount of energy for our life. We free up our heart's ability to meet suffering with kindness. We free up our creativity. We free up our capacity to be grounded as we respond to the needs of the planet, to the needs of the people around us. And we begin to experience that again in these moments and in a deepened and sustained way over the course of our practice. This is from a poem by Jennifer Wellwood. She writes, There will always be voices that promise you greatness and glory. They call out from the worldly marketplace, from the fill your holes marketplace, from the bigger, better, more marketplace. Don't buy their false promises or purchase their wares. What fulfills for a moment is not worth the price of your soul. There are treasures and there are imitations of treasures. Turn away from the glitter and want what is true. This may lead you to the well of your deepest sorrows. Follow that passageway all the way down. Become the dark emptiness of your absent core. Be still. Let the waiting become a fire. Be still. Let the fire show you its secret heart, a strand of clear light running through you. Gather yourself there and the luminous universe opens. In that vast expanse, fathomless, infinite ocean of light, lose yourself and find yourself and become what you already are. In that vast expanse, that fathomless, infinite ocean of light, lose yourself and find yourself and become what you already are. And so that's been a theme that's been running through everything that all of the different voices here have said so far, that we're learning to become who we really are, to enter through the ordinary stuff of our life, our bodies, our minds, sounds, smells, And through that, connect to something bigger, to a larger identity, 
not just our, our roles in the world. I'm a mother, I'm a daughter, I'm a sister. I'm someone who drives a bus. I'm a carpenter. I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor. These are just roles that we play. We're in this inquiry to discover our true nature, which is beyond these roles. And it's this journey in. And it's a radical journey. It's a powerful journey. And it's a journey which is not just in our service, but in the service of all beings. I'm going to come back to Tanisara again, who I quoted earlier about the womb of awareness. She has a book of poetry, a long poem called The Heart of the Bitter Almond Hedge Sutra. And this is a very, it's an impassioned poem. It's an allusion, of course, to the traditional Buddhist sutras. And it's also an allusion to the hedge that was built around Cape Town, South Africa, by the earliest European colonizers to keep out the rest of Africa. It was this hedge of thorny bushes which grew up. And she uses it as a metaphor for all the ways we try to block out the other and the way that hardens our heart, the way it keeps us from connecting with life. So it's a beautiful, long Dharma poem about taking down that hedge. And she writes, Quick, before it's too late, walk in the rose-scented garden where your soul patiently awaits among shattered fragments of the empire to break down your wall of small expectations and from nightmares pull you awake. Here is the faith of wild warriors who leave dream thinking far behind, who leap beyond the walls of the mind, who return to this our human heart that feels the scream in each mindful moment and chooses to soften, to breathe the mystery, to enter the unknown gate, to love fiercely every living thing right down to the last blade of grass. Move beyond your walled pastimes to join the awakening. Time yourself out from the needle of craving and boogie down with intense flamenco-disciplined passion so we can crash the machine. Yeah. So just let these images wash over you. These powerful images. These big images of what we're doing here. And just know that although this is a a big and important and wonderful and powerful journey, we're doing it so tenderly and so gently in such small steps. So it can be easy to be overwhelmed by these big visions and think, oh, I can't do that. But what's beautiful about the practice is we're just coming to one breath at a time. We're just softening to one breath or one step or one stretch of the body 
Can I meet just this moment with tenderness? That's all that I'm asking of myself. And we're doing it with such gentleness and care and compassion toward our minds, our hearts, our bodies. We have this soft determination and this incredible gentleness of spirit. So in the outside world, we think about doing things with a lot of effort, of pushing, of forcing, of trying, and that the harder we try and the more tense we are, the more we'll accomplish. It's just the opposite here. We're undoing, we're releasing, we're opening in so that a power can move up through us. And we're doing it just a breath at a time. Soft presence. We're letting the practice move through us. Let's just feel that for a moment. Let's just come to a conclusion here. Just settling back into your body and finding a position of ease. And for these last few minutes here, if sitting is not comfortable, feel free to lie down. That beautiful, honored, reclining meditation posture. You won't be here long enough for you to fall asleep. So just come to some sense of ease. Sit, lie down, stand. Whatever position you're in, feel the support of the earth beneath you, this embrace of the earth, the embrace of gravity. Feel the embrace of life holding you. This vast tide of life herself so much larger than any of our individual lives, can you let yourself be held by life? Is there anything in this moment you can set down that you're carrying by yourself? Just let the earth carry it. Let life carry it. Let the great mother carry it. Can you open yourself to the wind of your breath, 
the same breath that moves through the trees and rustles the leaves. And you open yourself to that wind blowing through you. Just these last few moments here, can you let yourself hear the song of life, however it's playing? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.